Hello, and welcome to Geekspeak, the logistics automation podcast. I'm Manas Medisetti, host of today's podcast and head of digital at Geek Plus. In today's episode, we'll continue the topic of building a mixed robotics fleet. This is the second half of a two-part episode, so if you haven't listened to the first half, please go back and do so. We have two knowledgeable guests joining us in the studio today, our resident expert Andrew Matsui, who is the head of Global Key Account Success at Geek Plus, and John Sanagate, who is the VP of Robotics and Voice at Corba Supply Chain. We'll pick up the conversation where we left off, talking about the complexity of integrating different robots from multiple vendors. In our last episode, Andrew said, the industry needed a few more years to mature before this can be done in a more cost-effective manner. Today, I'd like to bring up the idea of VDA 50-50. It's a standardization method gaining ground in Europe, a creation of the German automotive industry and other partners. It proposes a standard of communication between AGV fleet manager software and AGVs being operated on site. It is a baseline for both software and hardware engineers to follow. So my question is, would conforming to something like VDA 5050 help the logistics industry advance mixed fleet robotics at a more rapid rate? Or at this point and into the future, would using a mixed fleet from one company's robots still make more sense? Yeah, I, I can start there. I think first, you know, you need adoption of a standard, right? Such as VDA 5050. I don't think we've seen, you know, massive scale adoption across the mobile mobile robotics market of the sort of digital uh, standards as yet. There's obviously certain protocols that are that will be common, uh, but I think that requires mass adoption in order to drive the sort of value proposition that a standard is meant to deliver upon. Um, now, going back to the second question on, you know, sort of a mixed fleet of vehicles within a, a common, um, you know, OEM platform, uh, I think that can, I think that there's two ways to look at that. I think that that creates a degree of um, ease into the market, right? You've got, you've got a common team, you've got a common software architecture, you've got common manufacturing. So you're, you know, single hand to shake environment, so to, so, to, so to speak, takes place. So that does create a sense of value. Um, but I also don't want to devalue the, the uh, opportunity for uh, strong integration partners that can go in and can deliver uh, the best of both of those worlds where you may have a fleet as strong as the Geek Plus fleet of portfolio uh, that has, you know, uh, each picking robotics, that has sortation robots, that has uh, tote picking with uh, pedestals and and goods to person and quite frankly we're we're very big fans of the pop pick as well uh, but also there there may be other you know workflows that may not be supported by that portfolio uh, so for ease of entry uh, a common platform I think provides a high degree of value but I also do believe that um, strong integration partners that similar to what we're building with the uh, unified control system have a a vision and an execution strategy to enable, um, you know, heterogeneous mixed fleet operations uh, will continue to drive value. I think more and more into the future, we will see uh, additional vendors emerge onto the market that do have a point of value, that do have something that that is unique to that operation. Because we've been seeing it over the last several years, the number of 
uh, vendors that are innovating into this market has been astronomical over the past several years. There's been a tremendous amount of uh, private equity and venture capital going into this market. And so we've seen a large number of these vendors emerge, a handful uh, be taken up by acquisition or, you know, or dropped out of the market. But by and large, many of them still exist. And, you know, if you're in this space successfully at this point in time, there has to be some point in value. Um, so while I do believe there is a value in having a, a common portfolio, a common platform to enable that portfolio, I still think that there has to be a strong uh, approach to leveraging, call it a platform or a foundation, but being able to capture the building blocks and, and effectively integrating um, solutions that may not exist within that portfolio. And you'll really see that through the, uh, the integrator, uh, the systems integrator community uh, that are building up the capabilities to do that sort of a function. That's an interesting take, and I think uh, that's exactly um, exactly the reason why you know we as Geek Plus we you know we have a very strategic and very strong partnership with uh, Corver, and you know this is exactly the reason why we 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 like to work with these partners as well, right? But at the same time, I think um, um, you know it's just like how the the picking arm, right? Uh, previously, I think it was too expensive and then too cumbersome, and also the accuracy was not too high. Uh, it was not usable for you know contract logistics or uh, this you know this logistics industry. It was more for FA and you know fa factory out automation, basically manufacturing, etc. But um, what happened was basically um, uh, on top of these ARM companies, like these picking ARM hardware companies, uh, these vision tech companies came up, right? And these control control box making companies and and these controller basically companies came up and and that just kind of shows that the and and that the emergence of those uh, solutions actually is now greatly contributing to these uh, picking arms being used and being uh, justified in the ROI etc uh, and also the operational accuracy uh, in the you know the logistics industry definitely i think there's value in connecting different types of robotics from other you know other companies suppliers into one on the other hand, if it's all under one umbrella of one hardware model, I think it's much better, uh, or at least it's more seamless, I think, for in those specific parts that it can target. So I think there's value in both, right? I, I'm not too sure if uh, the verdict is going to you know, drop on uh, either or uh, both, or I, I don't know. But you know, I think right now is that transition period where everyone works their butts off to make sure that, you know, we stay at the top of the game and deliver the best experience to our customers. Andrew, I think that's, I think that's pretty much spot on, right? I think, uh, again, what you, what Geek Plus is doing is building a, a extremely robust portfolio of applications, right? A wide variety of mobile robots that can perform, as we talked about earlier, earlier in the discussion, uh, a broad set of workflows that, that currently exist within the warehouse. And, you know, what we've seen is the ability to uh, satisfy a vast majority of those workflows through our partnership. And when we can't, we, we've got the foundation built and the ability to go out and, and fill the minor gaps that, that may exist. But I think most importantly, you hit on what, you know, again, going back to my, my time at IDC as an industry analyst, uh, what I had touched on is the most important aspect of the success and growth of vendors in this space. It was far less about the robot. You know, the robot itself was, was 
uh, a means to an end. It was really about uh, the software. What you see in value is the automation of the movement. What's enabling that value is a robust software that allows you to make sense of it and build upon it and align that workflow to the broader digital architecture of a, a facility's uh, operation. So I think that was a, a very important point that you brought up is the importance of having a software solution that, that can scale across the mixed fleet efficiently. Definitely. I think uh, um, that's also, you know, being shown by the trend in the industry for, you know, companies going into uh, more of a leasing model or a, or a rental mm. model uh, or a ROS or a SaaS model. And, you know, this is this, this, this change and shift in the business model, I think, is actually showing, you know, uh, is actually comp complementing, I think, their digital transformation strategy and their lean, you know, operation, you know, from the end customer perspective. As a vendor, as a supplier of these robotics, I think we need to be on top of that and make sure that, again, we are working from the customer's re requirement perspective, what they actually need, uh, not just from not just from the hardware or the product perspective, I think. Um, I think that's the message of this mixed fleet uh, topic, is that uh, more and more, um, as suppliers of these uh, automation, we need to think from you know, multiple perspectives and not just be kind of encapsulated by our uh, product and our solution and be like product focused. We need to be, we also always, well, not also, but always need to be end customer uh, and requirement pain point solution focused where we dive into their operations. We understand what the requirements are, but also from that perspective of business and, and creating value for them from that uh, business layer, we need to make sure that we're delivering. And the beauty is in the architecture of the software. And that can enable and unlock not just operations and throughput and capacity and all that uh, nice stuff on the operational la layer, but also it can actually transcend and elevate into you know, unlocking business values and business levels strategies that can actually transform and disrupt you know, the, the previous ways that we conducted our businesses. So that I think you know that's the and that that's the dream part of of this mixed fleet thing, where we as we develop and create these solutions and software layers that enable all these different options, right? Whether it be from the single vendor perspective or from the multiple vendor perspective, it actually unlocks not just operation but business value and different models, and in turn that's going to be translated to you know logistics is the backbone of our society so that's going to be translated into end you like end end user you know like people like you manas who order something online you get something you know you might you never thought about next day delivery or same day delivery a couple of years ago but now right but all that is being enabled by these robots and these solutions and software and uh, i'm pretty excited to see what's coming up in the future right because uh, without creating that value and business model, right, uh, all of those stuff that the, the, the civilian people, you know, we uh, as end users and consumers, uh, you know, enjoy, we can't get that. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a very big topic. Yeah. Yeah. Talking of business values, do you mind diving into the costs and benefits of building a mixed fleet of robots? And what factors should be considered? 
Oh, yeah, sure. I, I can jump on that one. I mean, I, I think we've been talking about the benefits here. I, I won't dive too much into that. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll hit that one first here. Um, from a benefits perspective, it, it's expanding the use of automation technology within an operation, allow you to move farther and farther ahead from an automation perspective. Uh, but additionally, when, when you talk um, robot uh, automation in a, in a facility, you're also talking digital transformation, right? That we talked about the importance of the software side, that's digital enabled. So when we're using these robots, every time there's a manual touch point that becomes uh, enabled or executed to a mobile robot, you're now creating a digital touch point. So part of the value here, um, you know, or the benefit is not just the automation. It's not just the, the, you know, the movement of material to create efficiencies, to get things out the door faster, safer, more effectively. It's also creating greater visibility to the end-to-end -end positioning, handling, and workflow of the materials in the warehouse. And typically that will translate to further operational improvement opportunities because it's creating this, um, you know, this thread from inbound to outbound with a digital touch point at every point in the process. And that is, is essentially invaluable. It's, you know, we've looked at um, how do we improve visibility in warehouse uh, management and warehouse execution for decades. And now we're seeing through the use of this technology, we're creating that visibility. A, a piece of material went from point A to point B on a, on a robot, you know, it ended up there, that robot dropped it off. And then the next robot picks it up and does the next task. And, that pallet is then decanted into cases and dropped on robots and spread throughout a facility, you've got a digital record of all of those movements that now can eventually translate into the ability to look at holistically what was the path of a piece of product from when it re was received at the doors to when it was packaged up and sent out the next doors, how, how long that's, that uh, inventory is sitting idle, how many times it touches, et cetera. And while you can do that with um, you know, other forms, you know, RF, for example, you don't have the same degree of insight when the robot's creating a consistent, um, a consistent flow of data while it's in the process of handling that material. It's not point to point, it's now continuous. So I think that's a significant piece of value. From a cost perspective, yeah, you know that that's that's a big variable, right? The the cost of enabling mobile robots in a facility, let alone a mixed fleet, you know, depends on a, a tremendous amount of things, right? What is the workflow you're solving? Are you, you know, are you moving pallets x number of times per day, and you need a fleet of three autonomous fork vehicles, or are you putting out fifty thousand lines per day uh, in e-commerce, and you need uh, several hundred mobile robots and the racking that get, needs to be built, the physical infrastructure, uh, the software application, uh, or are you looking to deploy mobile robots into your existing operation using a robot as a service uh, methodology? You know, we've seen projects everywhere from a couple hundred thousand dollars to go from zero to robot enablement, all the way up to many millions of dollars for a more robust uh, implementation of uh, uh, specifically a pop pick, Andrew, um, you know, a pop pick deployment where there was, you know, several hundred robots, uh, double digit pop pick stations and, you know, nearly a hundred thousand totes and mobile and mobile rack supporting those, you know, several hundred thousand totes plus the takeaway automation that goes into that. So th there's no silver bullet when it comes to costing these solutions, but the, the big takeaway is that what we've seen uh, through the emergence of the robot as a service model and the ability to deploy, you know, point to point robots as a basic implementation 
a more mid-tier implementation of you know picking robots in aisle to a more advanced implementation of goods to person uh, you've got a wide variety of options and what that means now is that the enterprise has a different set of solutions to them the the large-scale enterprise can look at you know typically where we'd put in um, you know, conveyors and sortation equipment. Maybe we can adapt and use mobile robots. Maybe we don't have to. The budget exists. More impactful in these changes, uh, these these broader range of robots that are easier to deploy, easier to use, and and can be delivered with a robot as a service model, is on the SMB market. Where now a company that's doing, you know, 500 lines per hour as opposed to 5,000 lines per hour that historically wouldn't see the opportunity to deploy automation, can now deploy automation and create the same sorts of efficiencies that we're seeing at scale at the larger organizations. So costing is, again, I can't give a, a silver bullet answer because there isn't one, because there are a lot of components that go into building these solutions. And depending upon the application of the robot, there's obviously a different cost structure that goes into it. What I would like to say about this is that um, the best benefit, I guess, that the cost benefit that I saw uh, doing all these solutions and uh, implementations um, was to these brownfield operations, I think. Mm -hmm. Brownfield operations tend to have these big pallet racks and very big aisles, 3.5 or even bigger if their skew and, you know, uh, their skew is bigger. But uh, if you have these, right, the flexibility of wh what you can do with it is pretty, it's pretty um, marginal. It is, you, you can do a lot of stuff with it, right? So like uh, one integration, right, one mixed fleet, so to say, in integration would be well, we leave the pallet racks. We leave the pallet racks there, but then we have the, manu uh, the reactor person on the bottom layer, and then uh, the operation on the top is still conducted by forklifts. Uh, automated or not. Um, this is another type of mixed fleet, I think, right? And also, if you kind of scale that into a more much bigger uh, automation with more higher requirements, then you have the four-way plus of P800 and the racks on the ground floor. Uh, so you have that multi-layer four-way shuttle with P800 on the ground floor. But going back to the brownfield operations, if you have like existing racks, right? kind of taking that out of the way and just scrapping all that metal and uh, installing new ones, anchoring new uh, new ones into the ground. Um, and we got to be mindful if the warehouse or the, you know, the box is owned by that company or not, you know, if they're uh, renting it or something. Um, the, the cost would differ. But anyways, if you take away all those existing infrastructures and, and then put in a new set of ones to, to, to automate your thing, there's all these indirect costs that pile up and the cost benefit becomes, you know, very, very kind of awkward. But uh, the beauty of these um, uh, emerging and uh, evolving solutions is that you can use these existing infrastructures still, right? You can still use these. And you can use it in between them and you can use it uh, exist. You, you can just use it. Like, for instance, I've seen a case where the customer has these very high bay, uh, high, high, like nine meter, 10 meter racks. Right. And they just keep using that. And uh, we just implement our robo shuttles in there. And uh, that actually handles all the case handling We're using the existing same racks. But on the ground floor, we have these other P40s that uh, are automating the 
the the traditional way, so to say, the traditional AMR way, where uh, although the racks are not uh, made by made for the robo shuttles, uh, everything else is kind of you know adhering to the AMR standard, and it's just like a mixture. Everything is starting to fuse into each other. And I think this is more prevalent when we have these brownfield operation, existing operations where we need to. That actually has the most need for uh, uh, automation, I think, right? Because if you have like a new warehouse and you're implementing fresh, uh, there's, there's a million ways to design it, everything like a thread, you know, uh, organize it and clean, you know, very simple and uh, hand off one, one on one to one. But the, the challenge is when you have this years of accumulated operation in one warehouse, decades of it, and then you have to sort of take one place, take one piece of it, and then automate that and make it have it make sense within the whole ecosystem of that warehouse. That's when these mixed fleet uh, come into value and the cost benefit, the benefit kind of usurps the cost, I think. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Um, any closing uh remarks, any advice you'd want to give to someone who's looking to uh, automate the warehouse with a mixed fleet of robots? You, you know, I, I think, Manas, first off, as we've talked about is, you know, the mixed fleet is, I, I think, an outcome of point-driven implementations, right? Going into, especially in a brownfield, as Andrew spoke about, right? You look to solve a problem and you're looking for a particular outcome and there's a piece of automation that can solve that for you and you gain value and then you look to what's next right i, I think uh, at least in those environments starting with the idea of a mixed fleet um you know makes a little bit less sense than when you might be in a greenfield environment and you're taking a whole different perspective uh, of how you can build that environment today we're at a point where you know if you were to sit back and whiteboard uh, a facility that you've already built for the next facility for a greenfield it's going to look very different today uh, in what you would design what you designed 10, 15 years ago for that same volume of work. And so I think that, um, you know, the advice is, you know, for, for organizations thinking about deploying autonomous mobile robotics, you know, look at, again, look at what your biggest challenge uh, that you're trying to solve for is and, and see what the market has that can help you adapt to that challenge. Um, but don't be closed off because you're going to find related opportunities uh, oftentimes, as you go through that process of mapping where your pain points are and creating solutions to those pain points, other things are going to evolve. And that's where I think we see more of these mixed fleet opportunities, as as Andrew mentioned, right? You're, you're in a brownfield facility and you're looking to solve for a labor challenge in your picking process. And all of a sudden you realize through the discovery that, hey, there's, we're moving a cart 100 times a day using a, a fully burdened resource to walk 300 feet each direction. I think um, I think it's an inter interesting topic. This mixed fleet. I think it kind of like opens up the all the all the topics that we really need to think about as like all these um, you know pro uh, solution providers. It's it's a it's a it's it's an eye opener. I think um, I we usually tend to look at hey okay we have a project let's automate it, um, but you know we don't we often lose that open box thinking you know. Um, although we are this flexible solution, um, we get kind of encapsulated by what we are currently, you know, able to sell or able to make. So I, I think these types of topics, I think it's a, it's the value is there to kind of, um, you know, revisit these once in a while. And we might be amazed, you know, after maybe like two a year or even 
maybe even a year later, we revisit this topic uh, and then we'll see, oh, hey, you know, I remember saying this and that about this last year, but oh my God, oh my Lord, we are doing so much more now. So I, I don't know, but it's, it's an exciting time to be working in this industry. It's an exciting time. John, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for giving our audience great, in-depth, and meaningful insights into the topic of mixed robotic fleets. When we return for our next edition, we'll spend the episode answering an automation question from our audience. And that question could come from you. If you have any questions for us about automation, our robots, or the logistics industry, please send them in. We are on LinkedIn as Geek Plus, that's a plus sign, or you can send your questions to team at geekplus.com, that is T-E-A-M at geekplus.com. Thanks for joining us.